I'm Alex and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 26. And as always, I'm here in our virtual studio with our producer, Dom, and we're joined today by a very special guest, Elaine Slater, um, who some of you might recognise. She featured on our podcast way back at the beginning in sort of episode eight. So hello, everybody. How are you doing? Hello. Good. Good, yeah. Good. 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 Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for having us back. Thank you for coming. It's it's going to be good to have a different voice on the podcast for once. How have you been since we chatted those many months ago? Well, it feels like an eternity ago, doesn't it? <laughs> um, has anything really changed for anybody in those months? I'm not sure, but no, I'm good. I'm absolutely fine. Yes. How good, are you? Good. Not too bad. I have to say your um your episode Dinosaur Hospital was a big hit <laughs> with the podcast team. We were thinking that that needs to be turned into a TV program or something. Well, Dinosaur Hospital hasn't been played that much this year because we haven't been able to see each other. So oh. hopefully soon we'll get to play again. I mean, those poor dinosaurs are still wrapped up <laughs> in, that, in, that, in that jar with the elastoplast all over them. So hopefully they've recuperated by now. Bless them. <laughs> What about you, Dom? How have you been? Oh, good, yeah. Just, wow, just busy. I said this last week, didn't I? Busy, busy. Have you found that clipboard? And, and yeah, I just need something that symbolises uh, that I need a break, like maybe it's a big white flag or something like that. <laughs> just wave it at the start of meetings. I can't, yeah. I can't keep track of what I'm doing at the minute. I'm just, yeah, no. flitting from one thing to another and then forgetting what I was starting doing. And uh, yeah, I feel like I'm on a bit of a Groundhog Day from last week's episode. <laughs> Nothing's <Yeah>. changed. <laughs> I mean, one thing I noticed, because we, we talked about this earlier uh, in the year, didn't we, that the first lockdown, everybody was just really gentle with each other and understood. And then the second time it happened, workloads just piled up. But I think everybody's hit a point where they're remembering to be a bit more compassionate to each other again and understanding yeah. that we're all up against it. And it's starting to calm a little bit in terms of people's attitudes towards each other, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I think before Christmas, people were quite horrible to each other for a little while. Like, yes. I don't know, like for that short time when the shops were open, it mm. wasn't a pleasant experience. But I agree. I think now people are a little bit, a little bit calmer again and a bit right, resigned. I think, but kind of yeah. getting on with it. But also, like the end of the tunnel, now that we've got vaccinations and case rates are going down and stuff. So, and and talking of vaccinations. Mm-hmm. You as as if that was like <laughs> planned. What a segue! It's almost like we're on the one show. Oh <laughs> wow! Yes, yes. I've literally just come from having my first COVID vaccination. So yes, exciting times. Exciting, yeah. I was just saying before, it's like it's quite a well-oiled machine going in there, and in a nice snaked queue, and you're in and out. Lots of questions and. Are you allergic to lots of random scientific names and words that you've never heard of in your life? You're like, uh, no, don't think so. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's done. So my arm's a little bit numb. But other than that, so far, no side effects. So it's it's to help get our services back up and running. So hopefully a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Get back to being able to go to the hairdressers, to the pub, that kind of thing. So fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm looking forward to going back to the hairdressers as well. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> I've cut my own hair for the past six months and it's a mess. Me too. <laughs> Dominic's sporting a magnificent beard going. Mm-hmm. Magnificent beard going on there. Oh, thank yes. you. I, I needed that. <laughs> anyway, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? Yes. This week's episode is with Ian Watson. 
I had a great conversation this week. He's the director of Tynanweir Archives and Museums. And I discovered in our pre-recording chat that his family have just got a wire-haired rescue dachshund about six months ago, and they are one of my favourite dogs. So I was not jealous at all when he told me that. But enough of me talking. Here's Ian. Good morning, Ian. A very warm welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Pleasure, Alex. Lovely to be here. Um, I just thought for people who perhaps um, don't know who you are, uh, whether you could just set the scene for us, just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are. Gosh, right. Where to start? So, um, <laughs> big um, <laughs> the big questions. Yeah, life, the universe, and everything. So, I'm Ian Watson. I'm director of Tynanweir Archives and Museums. So, I'm responsible for managing nine museums across Tyneside and uh, the regional archives for the Tynanweir area. Um, born and bred in the northeast, I've spent most of my working life here, and really passionate about about the northeast. Um, it's a fantastic place to live, and really want to shout about it. I was going to ask you actually, have you always kind of worked in the northeast? Um, it's you've I know you've been around in at Tynanweir Archives and Museums for a good few years now. Um, what is it about the place then that's kept you here? What is it about the place that makes it so special? Well, I think sort of starting from the beginning, it, it was chance that br that brought me back. As I say, I I, I grew up here, um, went away to, to university, was doing research, actually living. I was living living in Oxford at the time, and like everybody, I was looking for jobs. And it happened that the job came up in Durham that was doing precisely the area of research that I was doing, and I wasn't being paid to do this work. And the job came up in Durham that was actually going to pay me some money, which was like, whoa, this this, this is a bit of a change getting paid. So um, I applied for the job because it really almost had like my name written on it in terms of the very narrow area of research I was working at that time, I was lucky enough to get the job, moved back up to the northeast, and scarily that was 1983, mm. which means it was 30, 37 years ago, oh and goodness. have worked across the northeast, um, mainly for local authorities and, and universities since then, also managed to fit into that period um, training to be a teacher. And it was actually through trying to be a teacher that I came to work in museums. It was through really wanting to, you know, engage with and work with people, which is which is what's important to me. I love it when that happens when you see a job description and you and you think that's got my name written all over it. Yeah, that that yeah. job's mine. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there weren't very many people researching the 110 degrees centigrade thermoluminescent peak of quartz at the time, so it really was a bit specialist. <laughs> that is quite niche. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly was. <laughs> So have there been any standout happy moments in your career then? I know that's probably a really big question, but kind of thinking through some of those jobs that you've had over the years, have there been any in particular that really kind of stand out for you as happy times? I've been lucky enough to, you know, having, having spent most of my life working in the cultural sector um, and as I say being really interested in people um, I've been lucky enough to have I think lots of you know lot, lot, lots of happy moments I mean I, I just sort of you know thinking back from from perhaps you know a little bit further back in time um, I worked for Durham County Council for nine years working with local history archaeology across museums and libraries and I remember some you know brilliant local history evenings in some of the villages in County Durham where you know at the end of the day um, some of those libraries had the books were on mobile shelves so you'd, you'd wheel the shelves back to the edges of the room create a space in the room put some chairs out and have a local history talk on you know and that would be a really big thing in that place you'd get 100 people in a small village coming out and people sort of fascinated and 
passionate about their you know, their their local history, wanting to tell you about you know, the important things in, in that local area. And it's that it's that level of you know, connection with with individuals and their story that I think is is really important. More recently, thinking of some you know amazing sort of exciting, exhilarating moments. I mean, I think you know I'll always remember when we found out that we got the lottery funding to redevelop what was the Hancock Museum, of course, is now the Great North Museum, Hancock. And, you know, I'd, I'd been seconded to Newcastle University for about seven months to write that application. And it was probably one of the very few times in my life when I've only had one thing to do, but it was write an application for £9 million. Um, so there was, you know, there was no pressure. Um, no pressure at all. No pressure at all. Um, <laughs> it was a drop dead moment. It was the last round of certain grants that we needed to match with the lottery funding. So if we didn't get it, it probably was never going to happen. Um, and then I remember the, you know, the, the exhilaration of a, of a a series of events. We had our deadline to deliver um, then, and I was all set to take this bid down to London where it had to be delivered. And all the power lines on the East Coast Main Line came down near mm. Peterborough. So the trains were off. How was I going to get there? Started looking at, at cars. Was I going to drive down overnight to get there? They got the lines back up. Okay, great. The trains are running. Then there was a tube strike in London. So you know, London had ground to a halt and I was going to have to go to our um, architects in outer London to pick up some the final drawings to submit along with along with the bid and get back into the centre of town. And obviously because it was a tube strike, taxi queues were, were massive. So it really was this sort of you know incredible exhilaration. But then after you know all of that, and we got the bid in and, and, it, and it was a, yeah, a really, really strong bid, the partnership with Castle University, Tannery Archives and Museums and, and our other partners on that. Um, and then you know the exhilaration of actually getting that, that that nine million pounds and seeing the project sort of come through and deliver so brilliantly and be now such you know a really important part of the the cultural infrastructure of, of Newcastle. So all that running across London, uh, trying to beat deadlines, all of these adverse things getting in your way, it was all yeah, worth yeah. it in the end. It, 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 it was worth it in the end, and I think you know it, it. Sometimes it is those you know those those moments of of excitement. So. Um, going and actually pick part of the team uh, with NGI to pitch for Great Exhibition of the North. So six of us actually did that pitch to bring Great Exhibition of the North, went down to Leeds to do that, do that pitch in front of, you know, the, the, the national figures who were, who were judging it. And then, you know, getting the news that actually we'd got the Great Exhibition of the North and we're, and we're bringing that to the Northeast. Again, those sort of moments are, are fantastic. Alongside some of the the individual connections, and I'm thinking back to um, a project that you and I worked on together a long time ago, the Culture Shock Project, yeah. and the which was a project to create digital stories from across the Northeast and, and sort of capture those stories and capture how people connected to objects in, in museums and galleries and what they might mean about their connection to the Northeast. And, you know, remembering a couple of people saying spontaneously how that project and working with museums and archives and galleries had changed their lives. Um, and, and, you know, and you recognise then the power of culture and are, are somewhat humbled by what happens when, you know, you, you do open up those resources to people, to the communities that we work with. I was going to ask you, where, where do you think museums sit in terms of people's happiness levels? What role have museums got to play in that? And you've kind of touched on that there already about, you know, changing people's lives. But yeah, what, what do you think they've got to, what, what role do museums have to play for, for happiness levels? 
I think there are so there are so many different things. I mean, I think all you know, all the evidence and the research is there that um, you know a broad cultural life increases our well-being and, and our happiness. And you know, clearly, well-being and, and, and happiness are strongly connected. And you know, what I'm not advocating is the sort of you know the, the happy clappy like pretend we've got to be happy all the time. That that's clearly ridiculous because you know. To be human, we need to experience that full range of emotions. We Absolutely. need to experience yeah. sadness, fear, frustration, anger, alongside um, happiness and, and, and excitement. And you know, I think museums and galleries play to a number of different emotions. So, you know, it might be that on a particular day, you want to go and um, you know contemplate a particular painting, a particular artwork that might. Um, help you experience or bring out a particular emotion it could be contemplative it could be um yeah and artwork can make you angry um it could be it could be happiness it could be just fun um again you know in a, in a, in a museum or gallery setting you might go with you might go with friends with colleagues you might be taking your children godchildren nieces and nephews whatever it might be and just having some fun you know running around enjoying it letting off that um that that inner child if you like freeing that and i think you know museums can give you the permission to do that to to have fun and that that to me is is really really important but it's that it's, it's that not everything has to be um the 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 running around and and crazy fun i mean again you know i remember uh, a moment in in tate st ives over over 20 years ago and my daughter's now 28 and at the time she must have been sort of four or five and and we lay on the floor in in tate st ives just with some big bits of paper and just drew what was on the walls around us and that's a you know a, a quiet sort of happiness as well as in something like um, Discovery Museum or Great North Museum Hancock, where you've got those sort of whizzy interactives that people can have fun, you know, making a noise and jumping up and down. Yeah. So a whole range of emotions can be experienced. And I think that's really, really interesting. For you, history and heritage is off, obviously a, a passion of yours. You've, you've uh, mm. stuck around in the heritage sector for, 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 for years. Um, what is it then about history, heritage that brings you happiness? I think there's a there's a real um, sense of of connection to the past. We need to know, you know, who we who we are and, and where we come from. And you know, again, recognizing that the diversity of people of communities that you know some people come from families where those families might not have moved around very much for five generations. Um, other cases, people may have only recently sort of come to an area, but may have brought with them their um, their memories, their their stories, their connections, or maybe they haven't got those memories and, and are looking to find ways of of, of connecting. Um, to me, history and heritage culture is about how we make sense of our world, how we understand where you know where, where we sit, and of course, you know, a number of sort of great people, great thinkers are credited with saying that if we don't learn the lessons of the past, you know, we're doomed to make the mistakes of the past again. Yeah. I think that that is important, not in a sense that you know everything is is always the same, but you know, the story that I always love is from um, the. You know, the last financial crash, the sort of 2008 to 2010 financial crash, where it said that because most of the economists looking at that um, were only looking on a 20-year on a timescale, they'd missed some of the signals of what led up to that crash, which you could have seen from you know previous financial crashes. So um, there is something real to be learned to me from from history but it's about learning for the present and the future it's not about wallowing in the past it's not about nostalgia um you know my god i wouldn't want to live in the past you know you think of 
where we're sat now thinking about um, the, the pandemic and the brilliance of the fact that despite all the problems and the challenges created by the modern world, um, air travel, uh, globalization, actually that vaccine technology is so stunning compared to what was you know, what would have been around 100 years ago. I can I can't begin to imagine what it would have been like going through lockdown actually even sort of 20 years ago without the technology that we've got now to help us keep connected with each other you know we're talking to each other now on video conferencing software which would have been out of people's reach sort of 20 years ago and you just kind of think what would it have been like if this had happened just a few decades ago um so yeah i think we're we're fortunate in a way that we we have access to to this stuff to stay connected i think Um, absolutely yeah 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 so this is a question for one of the podcast team actually um (laughs) you know have there been any times in your career as director? Because, um, you know, as the boss, your your job is to kind of oversee the entire museum service. Um, and you've kind of touched on a few projects already. Have you seen any sort of jobs, projects that perhaps some of your colleagues have been working on that you've kind of thought, oh, I wish I was doing that? Um, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, have there been any examples of that way you've sort of seen something that's looked, oh, that looks really fun and interesting? Um are there any examples like that? I think every day, Alex. I mean, in, in a sense, um, the, the, the challenge of doing a job like mine is that you spend an awful lot of time uh, looking at spreadsheets, looking at budgets, um, worrying. I mean, at the moment, obviously, you know, concerned about staff, staff, staff welfare in these very difficult times. So yeah. I'm very much dealing dealing with those issues rather than um, uh, creating wonderful exhibitions or engaging with people. So I think for me, it's the projects where people are working with people so you know the work that our um, outreach our learning our engagement teams are doing where you know you are working with a school group i mean i think for instance of um the projects happened recently around inventors in residence with uh, you know an inventor coming in and, and working with a school in the west end of newcastle and the kids you know just discovering some simple things like what happens if you take apart a mobile phone or you take apart a tv remote control and please you know i don't want kids going rushing into the living room and, and, and doing that this is all done under you know, supervision and, and and with devices that are beyond end of use is but, that your disclaimer um, there get you out that's, of that's trouble my, that's my disclaimer yeah yeah but that sort of work and, and having some like an inventor in residence coming in and, and working with it with a school group i think some of the work that we've done around um takeover day which is a national initiative uh, led by the kids in museums movement to um bring in groups it might be from school it might be from a you know a voluntary organization group groups of kids and put them in charge of the museum for a day put them in charge of the museum's social media accounts um put them in charge of creating material for an exhibition recently done project like this in in south shields museum and those sort of things i think you know are 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 great fun because you know uh, often those kids in terms of their approach of things they're so uninhibited they're free from all those barriers that we sometimes put on ourselves as as as, as adults and you know just see what comes out of that giving um kids inspiration a, a, a chance to roam so i think those those projects that engage people are the projects that i would um love to have the have the time to get involved with i haven't done it desperately recently but um probably sort of perhaps three years since I've done it, but I've did, done a few sort of back to the shop floor days as well, actually sort of spending time with our front of house team um, and actually you know, working on, the, on the, um, the museum or gallery floor, talking to visitors. And that is always brilliant as well, because you, know, you realise just how different many of our visitors are from each other and the different reasons that they, you know, they, they come into the museum or gallery for. 
I remember when I was working on the Culture Shock project, and and obviously my role within that was to coordinate the whole the whole project. And I, I must admit, you know, looking back, mm. I really did miss that, as you say, that face to face contact time with groups running sessions and i'd see these you know the assistant outreach officers going out running sessions with groups and it's like be like oh can i come along uh can i just mm. come and see what you're up to you know and just sort of be there not to kind of uh, see what what they're up to but just because that's what i enjoy doing i like 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 you're saying there working with people um and starting a new project is always incredibly exciting because you you kind of have an idea of how it might go, but actually it often goes in a completely different direction to where you expect it to go. Um, and that's the great thing about working with people. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you never know what sort of stories people are going to come yeah. to sessions with and, you know, what's what memories are in their heads uh, that they're, they're going to tell you that day. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Hmm. Um, so you're telling me that spreadsheets don't bring you joy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you know. I, I, again, I think there is, you know, there is a certain satisfaction when um, you get the right answer out of a spreadsheet. <laughs> and fortunately, we've got you know, I've got a brilliant team here that, that do that work and make sure that we normally get 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 the right answer. And you know, I think there's a moment for spreadsheets as well as everything else. But I wouldn't want to be okay. doing spreadsheets all day, every day. But God, they are they are they are useful. I'm always thankful when there's somebody in the team that is a spreadsheet yeah, <laughs> wizard, so I don't have to deal with anything Excel or anything like that. Yeah, that's not my strong point. Right, right. <laughs> so thinking about happiness then, Ian, um, what does happiness mean to you when you think of the word happiness? What comes to mind? Well, it's funny, you know, when, when, when you sort of contacted me about this, Alex, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was Ken Dodd. And of course, mm-hmm. the song, um, you know, happiness, happiness. Um, I, you know, but oh God, the, the word, the word, the words have gone from the, the song, and they, and they were so clear when when I was thinking about it before. The greatest <laughs> gift that I possess, I thank the Lord that I possess more than my share of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think you know, if you are a relatively positive person, and obviously you know we're all different. It'd be awful if we were all the same. But I think I I, I am a relatively positive person in in my approach to life. Try and see you know wherever possible. Um, the best in things, the opportunity, lucky to have, you know, a great family around me, um, which I think is, you know, is really important to have, you know, a good group of friends. Happiness, I think, comes from that as well. And that engagement, feeling um, connected to, uh, connected to place, to people. Um, a lovely dog, which again, those, those moments of sort of, you know, pleasure and happiness just sort of, you know, sat with, sat, sat, I don't know, watching TV with a dog. Um Exercise, I think, is you know is, is really important as well. Getting out, whether it's you know obviously the moment in, in lockdown that the gym isn't there and available, but um, lucky in that just a couple of minutes from from where I live, there's a sort of a large open green space area, so I can actually and actually from my window I can see trees you know, above above the houses. Um, those sometimes those little things are are important to happiness. So you've touched on a couple of things there already, but personally what what things bring you happiness it, i think really, really it is um it is it is it is family it is friends it is being able to um to take time out and getting that balance between that um sort of the, the personal sort of quiet contemplative time and the time with um you know the 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 noisy, um, lively time with friends and happiness for me is getting that balance right between the two because too much of either 
doesn't work, but I, I certainly know that I need, you know, I need both sometimes. Just need to be on my own and have that quiet reading time, have that quiet walk and often that you know that sort of power walking at speed that really um allows you to, to to process things to get into the zone but then equally need very much that um that social contact that engagement um and of course culture you know and enjoying and, and loving you know, some of that happiness is brought some of those you know whether it's just seeing um old friends some of the you know those paintings in our museums and galleries some of those objects in museums and galleries that, that, that tell a story or traveling and seeing some you know things that are recognized on the world stage as being significant and, and, and culturally important can bring can bring happiness but it's you know often it's the the little things it's laughter those things that just make you just make you laugh and um have fun we've been watching a lot of comedy during um lockdown and i think yes as you were saying laughter and um can really kind of just lift the spirits i think you know so rather than watching too much news we'll we'll put some comedy on instead and it really does lift the spirits for sure um do you have a happy place ian um you know you're, you're a big um you're passionate about the northeast um do you have a favorite place in the northeast do you have a happy place i think it's funny i mean i I absolutely love the northeast and one of the things that i love about the northeast is also how easy it is to get to other places Mm. so um you know i mean i think there are probably two two things i would say one is the whole northeast coast um the coast is just amazing obviously at the moment with lockdown I live in Newcastle, can't get can't get to the coast, so very much missing just being able to go to the beach because normally we'd, we'd be down on the beach at least once a week, but obviously not doing that at the moment. Um, and that that sense of the 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 sea, the beach, the open space, you know, and frankly, they are the best beaches in the world. I know we don't have no, we, don't, we don't we don't have the weather, and I absolutely <laughs> accept that, you know. And I love going to the Med as much as anybody and, and enjoying the sun, but um, the fact that you can go. You know, I've been on that beach in snow. I've been on those beaches when the sea's freezing as it hits the sand. And I've been on those beaches on, on hot days. Um, but it that, doesn't matter, North does East, it? It doesn't matter. Those northeast beaches are amazing. And the other, the other place is we are so near to the Lake District. And the Lake District is just one of my fave places. So particularly, if I have to think of a place, it's um, Mungrysdale Common at the back of Blencathra, going up over Blencathra and on towards Mungrysdale Common. Just empty open space and again if i'm there it really doesn't matter what the weather is um it, you know and, and almost that sort of that again that power walking up in that 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 space that sense of um openness um you know being with 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 nature that that great openness is just fantastic we interviewed uh, the historian dan jackson um a few episodes back and i loved how he described um our beaches as the geordie riviera um, so very similar to how you've described it there we, we do have the best beaches and, and like you say yeah it doesn't matter whether it's a freezing cold day or a glorious hot sunny day it's just there's just something isn't there about being at the coast and just breathing in that sea air um and it's come up quite a few times in other episodes, actually, the, the importance of the coast, I think, to people's happiness. 
no, I have a friendly rivalry with friends from, from Swansea as to, you know, whether the northeast coast or the beaches of the Gower <laughs> are the best beaches and so that there are regular messages go on WhatsApp with photographs showing, obviously, the great charms of the Gower and the Gower is gorgeous, um, but it's not the northeast coast, which clearly, clearly is, 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 is yeah. the better set of beaches. Yeah. And so yeah. I have to sort of keep, you know, keep the shout up and keep the end up for the northeast. I don't know. Cornwall beaches are pretty spectacular as well, you know. Either yeah. either ends of the country, isn't it? Northeast, southwest, yeah. they're pretty spectacular. But I have to agree, the northeast. Yeah. I think I think you're yeah. right. I think Fantastic. I think we win. <laughs> so you're retiring later this year. Yes. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about that? Do you have any adventures planned? What's what you're looking forward to? I think really what I'm looking forward to is obviously having having some more time to be able to um, plan what I do uh, a bit more. In a sense, obviously, my life is very structured and planned at the moment, but it, it, the plan is often you know, dictated by external factors. It might be sequence of grant applications, budget rounds, business planning, rather than um, me determining as much of, of that planning. So I'm hoping to sort of spend my time doing a variety of different things. So I'm hoping to pick up on some um, research ideas and themes, things that I've not had a chance to develop because of all that time on the spreadsheets. Um, and we'll continue with some non-exec roles, you know, looking at where I can support perhaps some some cultural and, and community organisations. I'm intending to do small amounts of freelance work um, and to have, you know, to have more time to spend with, with family, with friends, um, to look at the rather neglected garden. There's a few projects around the house that, although we've been in this house now 11 years, not quite got around to doing in that. Keep putting that it off. Years. Keep putting keep it off. It keep off. putting it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, that yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. So you know those points where there's the dip in the drive, where the you know the the bricks need sort of lifting and, and redoing. Just having a bit of time to do some of that and actually um, enjoy being here. Um, and of course, spend more, you know, more time on the on, on the northeast coast beaches. Um, at the moment, not thinking too much about travel. I think it's probably you know in terms of where we are, it's best not to think too much about that. But obviously, you know. At some point, a bit more travelling will will be part of it as well. Um, I've been, you know, very lucky, and I've travelled to a lot of different parts of the world. But there are still places that, you know, I would love to go to that I haven't been to. Oh, like where? Where do you fancy going? Places, places that I haven't been to. I've not been to India, and that's mm. definitely on the list. And um, I've not been to North Africa, other than to I've been to Egypt, but I've not been to um, uh, Morocco, or Tunisia. So I'd love to go along that that North African. Uh, coast so th those are the places that are on the list but to say at the moment i'm kind of not thinking about those i'm focusing on the things where i know we, we can yeah. do and, and, and work yeah. through over the next um yeah. your next year two years so you'll just be sitting twiddling your thumbs then <laughs> i think so alex yeah and re you know re re reading of course just having the time to actually read uh, and you know and things you know about sort of culture it's very much you know, I, I'm not going to be cutting myself off from the cultural world. I do want to stay engaged with the cultural world. Um, and, you know, whilst I've still got some, hopefully some, you know, useful knowledge and experience to be able to, to use that and, and share that and, and make a contribution. So you said earlier on in the interview that, you know, you feel that you're a fairly um, positive person. How do you maintain positive mental well-being then you know do you have any sort of tips that other people might be able to use themselves i i think that um that the first thing to do is to recognize that we all have periods when we feel down and that actually yeah. it, it's it's okay to do that and um when you are feeling like that 
do talk about it you know in whatever way is is open to you so if you have a partner or a particular friend that you know you you can talk to about that um or if you you know you you use um a counseling service or, or support like that you know do 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 that 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 is really important and for most of us it's hard to um, maintain happiness if you don't acknowledge the other side of it as well yeah. there is, you know for all of us life has moments when it is it is tough um, so I think that that's really important in terms of maintaining mental well-being. Um, exercise is important, and you know, this is one of the challenges I think with you know various lockdowns that it's quite easy to find that you haven't been out of the house. I mean, again, as we said, the dog means that even if I didn't want to, you um, have to go between out. my wife and I, we've got it. We've got to get out, whatever yeah. the weather. You've got to get that dog out, otherwise you've got a crazy beast sort of orbiting <laughs> the ceiling. Um, so that is that is really good, and you know, a brisk walk. Is great. Um, lots and lots of sort of exercise regimes out there, as 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 we know about. I think those are those are important. Um, I do use relaxation, meditation, um, you know, mindfulness type relaxation. Mm-hmm. I find that you know very very helpful. And those those kind of breathing exercises that again, you know, we all know. And getting into a practice with um, persons like that, I think is, is 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 really good. And then you know, finding I think sort of you know reflecting each day on things that either or things that you can feel a bit of gratitude for mm. the, the good things to happen. It might be something as simple as you know, somebody having brought you a cup of tea, something like that. But mm-hmm. those, those things to be thankful for, all those contribute to happiness, as well as, you know, like you were saying about just having a good laugh, which is 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 brilliant and is is so important. Um, and you know, just I think being grateful for what 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 you've got, whatever that may be, um, and where you are, and and you know that you're okay. Yeah. Well, what a great note to end on, Ian. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. It's been a while since we've spoken. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, I keep an eye on what's going on at TWAM on the on the social media networks and, and stuff. So yeah. it's, it's great to see that uh, the museum service is still doing amazing stuff. And um, yeah, you'll be a great, a great miss when you uh, when you retire later this year. But thank <laughs> you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Lovely to talk to you. So that was Ian. What did people think? Wow. The bit that sticks out for me massively is his £9 million bid story. Uh, yeah. I've had some, well, not not quite as horrific. As, as that, I mean, that was a travel nightmare and a half. Um, but back in the day, I used to work for a, a different charity um, when uh, Broadacre House used to be DWP and all bids used to have to go in there in a big brown envelope. And I just had to get from Gateshead to Newcastle to drop a bid off. Um, and was late <laughs> every time. So poor, poor man having to go all the way to London and all of that traffic nightmare, travel nightmare. Um, but it was successful. So happy, Great. happy, happy days. So I'm Yay. sure you've got some bid stories as well, Alex. Does that still happen though, the whole having to hand things in physically? Or is it all done online now? I think everything's done online now, yeah. I mean, I'm going back a good 12 years. The last time I had to have that horrificness of going with a big mm. brown envelope. And also it wasn't just one copy, you had to print it off about five. And what was that about? (laughs) Saving their photocopier fees, I think, by getting you to do it, I imagine. But uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine that whole nightmare of trying to get down to London and Uh all these different obstacles. It kind of felt, it was just incredible. It was meant to be, though, because the bid was won. And now we'll have the Great North Museum. Yeah, 
Yeah. It kind of reminded me, um, years ago when I was first self-employed, you used to have to hand your self-assessment forms in at the tax office, or you could post them. But if you'd left it till the last day, you literally had to walk there and put it <laughs> and give it to them. And even if I'd done mine early, I used to hold on to it till the last day because I used to like going in because <laughs> you'd see people like clutching fistfuls of receipts, like punching the floor in tears. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. And somebody like calm, from the tax office calmly patting them on the back going, it's not the end of the world. We'll be okay. <laughs> I, I liked how he got Ken Dodd in there. Yes, that was brilliant. <laughs> I remember when we very first started this project, I think, and we, we've got a little Slack chat going on, haven't we, Dom? Mm. Um, and I think one of the very first things you posted in the Slack was a video of uh, Ken Dodd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so finally, we're nearly at the end of the project, but somebody's uh, mentioned Ken Dodd happiness. <laughs> I liked, I think it was you, like that said, there's no, no joy from spreadsheets as well when he was talking about <laughs> work stuff yeah nobody likes a spreadsheet but there is some satisfaction i think when when like he said when everything does add up correctly when you don't get mm. that little error thing in the corner of the of the square that says you've done a calculation wrong and you're pulling your hair out trying to figure out which bit of a thousand um boxes it could be that's made it wrong but, yeah. Or the dreaded hashtags in the answer box <laughs> uh-huh. as well. It's like, why are you doing yes. this? You're supposed yeah. to make my yeah. life easier. <laughs> and you're not. But, yeah. yeah. Somebody once asked me what was an unexpected part of working in the cultural sector. And I told them it was crying in front of spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> I bow down to people who can work them and do the mm. most magical things with them but yeah it's not not my idea of a yeah. good time it's a whole different world though i think spreadsheets yeah. isn't it when you're good at spreadsheets that's all you spend your life doing maybe maybe that needs to be our next guest a uh, spreadsheet <laughs> guru wizard yeah yeah maybe and they can convince <laughs> us the joy of spreadsheets perhaps maybe that's wow. what we need to do uh, let's talk about that later alex <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be—I'll just have a blank expression throughout the whole interview. It'll just all yeah. go completely over my head. We may not get many listeners that week. No offense to spreadsheet experts, but we'll be getting—we'll be getting yeah. messages. I—I <laughs> um, I enjoyed as well what he was talking about—the exhilaration that he feels from things like trying to get that nine million pound bid down to London or presenting um, to a panel to convince them about the great exhibition of the North. And rather than that sort of nervousness and dread, he actually gets that exhilaration and rush from doing it, which um, mm-hmm. I thought was uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was interesting to yeah get, get that kind of behind the scenes insight into uh, what goes on when you're trying to get a project off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? You know what, when he was talking about getting out with the dog in all weathers, mm-hmm. I, I really understood that. It'll be the most miserable morning and the dog's looking at you like, come on, away, time for a walk. And you're like, oh, please, not today. But you, you do, you get your coat on and you go out and you're always glad that you did it. Once you're out, no matter what the weather, you're just pleased that you're getting a bit of fresh air 
in daylight and it picks your day up so yeah definitely i can definitely empathize with that apart from my dogs are all getting a bit old now and with all the rain that we've had this past week they get to the front door and they're like eh, i'm all right thanks <laughs> can we see what the back door looks like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah totally getting out and about with the dogs there's nothing better i don't think that's exactly what my dog is like now he's nearly 15 mm-hmm. and you I remember the other day, um, because our front door's in the middle of the house, and he kind of came from the kitchen, and he kind of looked out the door, and he could see that it was chucking it down, so he ran straight through into the living room. Somebody else chased him back the other way, and he ran straight (laughs) past the front door, back into the kitchen. He just would not go out the house, so uh, yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. My 15-year-old <laughs> and 14-year-old aren't fans of going out in the rain either. Like I say, she walks around all the puddles, really hangs back. You have to drag her along. And if they could talk, they'd be furious. <laughs> <laughs> but it does you good. Like you said, Dom, getting out, no matter what the weather, once you're out and in it, you may as well just stay out and in it. You can't get any more soaked. No, you're not made of sugar. Exactly, eh? you're not going to melt. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think Ian's going to be a big miss as well because he's been such a big part of the culture and heritage scene in the northeast. You mentioned that he'd be doing a bit of freelance work and other bits and pieces, so I hope to see him yeah. doing that as yeah, well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dom. And thank you, Ian, for your time. That was great. So if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We always love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Guide or on Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. And as always, I want to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. So that's it. We've reached the end of another episode. Thank you, Elaine, for joining us today. It's been great fun having you here. Very welcome. It's great fun to be here. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. Thank you.